Hello, I'm Sandra Eileen and welcome to Healing Forward Support. My goal is to bring you content to validate your feelings and experiences, soothe your soul, and help you find peace and contentment as you navigate your healing and recovery journey. With that said, I am not a therapist or counselor or any kind of medical professional, and none of our content is intended to be medical or therapy advice, and no type of relationship is implied. Please consult with your doctor or therapist regarding anything you learned here that you may want to implement before you make any changes to prescriptions or treatment plans. Any opinions expressed by my guests are their own, and I am not always in agreement. Please let us know of any concerns or questions you have regarding our content by commenting below or emailing us at help at healingforwardsupport.com. Thank you for coming to share with us today, and I am proud to present to you the following content. Welcome to Healing Forward. I'm Sandra Eileen, and today we present our very first podcast guest, Lisa Meister. Lisa came into my radar as I was researching how I wanted my podcast to look and feel. She was a guest on someone else's podcast, and she said something that made me say, I got to have her on my show. And a year later, here we are. Lisa has written two books. Only God Rescued Me is her memoir about surviving and healing from satanic ritual abuse. And You've Got the Wrong Guy, which helps the reader work through what responsibility, if any, God has when bad things happen. I will have all Lisa's socials and links to buy her books in the show notes, as well as a link to the podcast I first heard her on. Welcome to my show, Lisa, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Sandra. I'm so honored to be here. I really like what you're doing and just very impressed by it. Thank you so much. And so I'm just going to get to the point. So as I mentioned in the intro, I was listening to a lot of podcasts to see what was out there regarding trauma survivorship. And, you know, if you just put survivor in there, all those podcasts for the TV show comes out. And uh, so I came across an episode of Monique Coven's podcast and you were a guest on. It was right before you started releasing your own podcasts. Um, You sounded so relatable to me. We're about the same age. And as this episode was coming to an end, you were talking about how healing from trauma is lifelong and you wanted to heal for your family and you don't want to heal for you. You emphasize that we can heal and we have to have a reason to heal. Monique asked if there was a part of you that wanted to heal for little Lisa and your answer was a firm no. You went on to explain why. Um, I did read your book, Only God Rescued Me. And while I was reading the book, I had had the feeling that maybe you hadn't articulated that idea for yourself that you didn't want to heal for little Lisa. Is that accurate? Did I read that right? Or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, healing is complicated, especially when you have abuse in your background, it's repressed, comes back. There's this going back and forth, going to heal, I'm not going to heal. I believe it happened. I don't believe it happened. And then I got kind of gobsmacked with, okay, now there's a little Lisa. I didn't realize that was coming. It kind of came out of the blue. Mm -hmm. You've got to be kidding me. 
And so my uh, therapist found that I had a hard time articulating in therapy when we were talking. So she said, go write about it. Go write about little Lisa. And so I had this image of her. She was dirt, you know, she was little, she was dirty, she was bedraggled. And, and I was so angry with her because she was bothering, she was making me fall apart in the present. I didn't appreciate it. So like in the writing, I went and slapped her and said, get away from me. And, and that was my feeling. And, and it, it's this, you know, this love-hate relationship that, that, that you have because I needed her to handle the abuse, which she did brilliantly as a child. You know, I was able to function. I was able to to excel at school and sports and whatever I did, I was able to focus on that, even in the midst of feeling broken and the emotional ticks and the nightmares and the relentless stuff that was going on. And then I was able to keep it repressed till I was 29, where then it all started coming back. Then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, okay, we're, we're traversing through this healing process. And now, oops, now there's this little Lisa, let's go back and deal with her where it's, it's like saying, okay, let's go relive your abuse all over again. Right. I didn't want to do that, but I, I had to do it because my kids were going to be abused if I didn't. And cognitively it was, that's what pulled the repression, broke it and brought all the flashbacks and stuff coming. So, you know, I still, I, I still struggle with the concept today. Like, would I heal just to go and rescue her? No. Would I heal? Will I go and rescue her because I have to heal in the present? Yeah, because the present was falling apart because I had, because I was not functional with my family, which right. was not okay. I was a stay at home mom. I was a homeschooling mom. Yeah. I didn't have the luxury of crawling into my bed and not coming out. So, you know, where am I on that? Like even today, I can't even say where I am there, you know, cause it, it does, you just go back and forth. I, I think the brilliance of having the younger parts of us, I thank God for that. I mean, he gave us that ability to survive and I survived it, but then you got to go back and heal from it as an adult. I don't appreciate that because I really would just rather ignore all of it and just be okay. And again, you can't do that because then it puts your family at risk. So it's an all a convoluted, I don't know, you know, but healing has to happen and you have to have a reason for it. So to be able to say, I have to protect my kids and I had to understand what had happened to me so I could get my kids away from my parents that, you know, that was my road to it. Right. When you were talking about that in your book, um, the, the, just before it sounds like the, uh, the flashbacks and the, the, your brain couldn't hold on anymore. And right. the, um, the, the sense of urgency, you relayed that really, really clearly in the book at that dinner, that that sense of urgency of protect protect my daughter. Um, it, it, it's amazing. Your, your book is an amazing read. 
And you're right on with, you know, kind of toggling back and forth between how to go about this process of healing that it doesn't just, you know, even with wounds, we have to take care of, you know, physical skin tissue wounds so that they heal well. And, you know, we need to pay attention to the the mental and emotional healing um, after trauma as well. And to, to recognize the coping mechanisms that our bodies um, and our thought processes have to help us do that. One of the things that you had talked about and that was brought up in the other podcast was the disassociative identity disorder or just to disassociate. And you described as you remembering how you coped with abuse as it was happening to you, that you would you go into your eyes. What helped you remember that that's what you were doing? When, when I start being triggered. So if there are circumstances that are going on around you in a normal course of a day, that maybe a smell that takes you back to the abuse, maybe a certain phrase somebody says takes you back to the abuse, or like one time my husband touched my shoulder and all of a sudden it was my dad was touching me, you know, like just normal things, but they're triggering. And then all of a sudden my whole body disappears and I'm just in my eyes. It's like, I can't feel my body. I'm not thinking. And that's a dissociated state where you kind of, you're dissociated from your body or like two separate entities, then they can't hurt you. Like, you know, because you're not there. Mm -hmm. So, um, in the present being triggered, I would go into my eyes when all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm just in my eyes. And, and I started realizing over time that that was something that happens. And then in some of the flashbacks, I would realize I don't have a body. I, I, I just have my eyes, mm-hmm. you know, or sometimes I would just retreat into the left side of my brain and how I know it's left side of my brain. I don't know. It's just like, I just retreated into the left side of my brain, but, um, this dissociated state is a way of surviving horrendous abuse as well. And they're starting to find that um, everybody dissociates to a certain degrees, just in kind of normal everyday life. Like yeah. parts of you might be different ages, like different ages handled different parts of the abuse and, and what went on. So sometimes like my kids, my kids are the master of my dissociated states. They're like, yeah, you walk down the hall. It's a whole different tread. You know, you like one of them, I just start singing silly nursery rhymes. You know, like you're walking around doing your chores and you're just singing these really weird songs, you know, and, and they can, and they can do that where like, sometimes you're, you've got your game face on at work you're the professional and then you're playful with your kids or, you know, you're romantic with your husband. It's kind of that idea. Mm -hmm. There's, there's different parts of you playing different roles or handling different situations in your life. Right. That's also part of dissociation. Right. It was really kind of liberating for me to read about how you described it, that for, for different times in my life where I had, you know, also experienced abuse and having a way to articulate what I remember that I was also finding a way to compartmentalize or 
kind of protect myself, protect so that the whole, the whole soul didn't break type of thing. And uh, it was, yeah, I'm really glad that I stumbled across that podcast and got to read both your books. And uh, yeah, so so one of the interesting, just the dissociated state is also like the little girl inside. Yeah, they, they it's just for your listeners. They're also the same sort of idea. Yeah, yeah, and and I can see that, and and for some ways, especially with, you know, as I kind of describe it as my brain feels safe enough to start working through some things where, you know, kind of like what you're describing, you know, something that would be just normal in a flashback or something, you know, and then it's like, well, what do I do with this information? And I have to still keep functioning. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of unnerving. And at the same time, kind of a reassurance for me that I'm in a safe place so that my brain and my soul and all of this stuff I don't understand can, can continue to do the healing work. It's really a complex healing process. Mm-hmm. It takes, you know, it, it's this finesse of you with your insiders, your parts, your dissociated parts, your the little girls, whatever inside, where they have to trust you, which means you can't hate them. Right. You know, you, you, you've got to get this. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate what you've almost like they're different people than you. I mean, just you sometimes feel really crazy talking to yourself. Like I'm having this conversation with myself. I must be cracking up, but you know, that's, that's how we heal. And for them to be able to express to you how they're feeling or what they know, maybe they know some of the abuse that they need to tell you or, uh, kind of what their job was like I you know I have parts that just handled pain yeah you know and they were the pain receptor or I had parts that just have handled the complexity of having to go to school and perform or you know they're they're brilliant I mean yeah. there was I was so little and I was handling all these concepts and all these jobs and and the abuse all at the same time and after a while you have to sit back and go wow that's just impressive yeah. You know, and, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing this for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I really hope that in hearing this conversation that the listeners kind of feel some relief that what they may be experiencing in their mind and in their soul with this stuff is, um, is part of the healing process. And as scary as it might be, it's, it's also going to what helps them to continue to heal forward and live the best life they can live right now it's heroic to heal yes because healing isn't as bad as going through the abuse in the first time but it's a very close second because you have to go through and not have all the dissociative tools you had when you were little and and that's why so many of us fall apart like for me I, i fell apart for about 20 years you know it took a long time to get on top of it and to face what happened to me and accept it and figure out how to heal. And 
everybody's healing process is different. Everybody's reason to jump into healing is going to be different and you have to find a reason. Yeah. You know, and then you have to realize that you handled all this for so long and, and then you have to have self-compassion. It's like, wow, you know, I may be falling apart, but I've really done a good job to get this far. Yeah. For you know, sure. I, there, there's a heroism to doing the work and it is work. It's hard work, but it, you know, I would like your listeners to know that you can get to the other side and there is peace and there is an ability to sleep without having nightmares. And there is an ability to trust people again. Although for a long time, you're like, I'm not trusting anybody ever again. I've learned my lesson. You can trust. There are certain people you can trust and you got to learn what to look for in a trustworthy person versus an untrustworthy person. And, you know, but it's worth it's worth the effort to do all those things. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. And um, yeah, talking about acceptance for yourself and acceptance of, of what happened to you and what you lived through. And um, for a long time, I wanted to be understood. Yeah. And I was in this, I was stuck in the understood part of the, the stages of healing is what I'm going to call it. And the stages of healing don't happen in any particular order. And they kind of, kind of cycle up and down and through things. Like I used to get so frustrated with myself when I would be dealing with stuff again. Right. You know, it's like, I already dealt with this and I would just get so frustrated. Why am I dealing with this again? And I would almost be like you said, angry about, you know, dealing with stuff again. And finally, you know, when, when stuff resurfaces, it's because I kind of have to, my brain's ready to look at it from a different angle. That's a really good point. You know, I like how you say that. Cause yeah, I mean, there's so many angles to look at the healing process. You know, there, there's the accepting that that happened. Mm -hmm. And then there's the accepting of because that happened, I reacted in this way. And then I got to deal with, you know, maybe actions that I took, or maybe the grief of what I lost out on because I was stuck in the cycle of abuse. I mean, there's just so many layers. And, you know, again, that self-compassion has to be there with every layer. It's like, I shouldn't be this way. I should be over this by now is the thing only you say to yourself. Well, I mean, there's toxic people that will say that too, but hopefully you'll get them out of your life. You know, just like, okay, you're out, which I've had to do too. But, you know, like even coming up with the timeline for my memoir that I wrote was so hard because of that back and forth Mm -hmm. or you're going through another layer. So like it's healing is not a chronological event because of your going back. It's like, oh, here I go again. And then there's that self-hatred that comes up. What's the matter with me? You know, I should be over this. And um, someone said, a friend of mine said recently that if I talk to other people the way I talk to myself, nobody would be my friend. We need to take that conversation we have with ourselves out and start saying, you know, Lisa, you've you've done as best as you can can with what you've had to deal with. You know, Sandra, you're dealing with this you're doing a good job. You're, you're working through it because you're dealing with it. You're getting there. 
Right. Right. And with the people that I do talk to, that's pretty much my mantra to them too, is be kind to yourself. The golden rule in reverse, you know, you wouldn't treat anyone the way you treat yourself. Right. You know, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to say that observing our mental health system, it's not encouraged. No. So there's, there's a lot of work that we need to do as a society to, to make it safer for survivors to come forward and live their lives while they're healing and recovering and growing and learning and live their, live their lives with more of acceptance, you know, for, for all the people that, you know, participated in the Me Too movement, you know, for them to say Me Too, they had to like explain in detail what Me Too was and that that shouldn't be. Right. We, we know humans are awful to each other. We shouldn't have to describe how awful humans were to us. I agree. One of the things that I am seeing, though, that I'm encouraged by is the, um, the social education of the effect that trauma has on our bodies. And lots and lots, you know, the body keeps the score. Uh, like People that wouldn't identify themselves as trauma survivors are finding that book to be useful. In recognizing that, you know, everything we experience in our lives has a cumulative effect on our souls and our bodies and, and, you know, coming to an acceptance of that also has, has been interesting to watch. What do you think of that? Absolutely. I, you know, I, I believe that it's stored in all of our cells. Mm-hmm. Um, my counselor told me that there was a person who was violently murdered and they they did a heart transplant of her heart into somebody else the the murdered lady and the person that the heart got transplanted into started having nightmares of the murder and it was so detailed that they went to court and they got a conviction for the guy that did the murder wow from the heart so in that heart was stored the memory of what she was seeing so Bessel van der Kolk and the body keeps the score is brilliant as he breaks down your body is responding to what's happened to you, which makes sense. So as we're abused as children, we're not allowed to talk about it. You know, it has to be silent. You don't tell anybody, you know, you got to protect your family. You've got to, you know, protect the abuser and it's all about them and all that sort of stuff. So a child will you know, they, they, they will be quiet, but their body starts freaking out, you know, like emotional tics. I would start blinking and I wouldn't be able to stop. You know, I, I just, I had no control over it because my body had to express the, the abuse because you, you can't express it while you're being abused, you know, then you can't express it. You're repressed. So you're mentally not even dealing with it. So survivors have so much body pain, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, bowel disorders. You know, for me, it was cyclical vomiting syndrome. I could, you know, roll on the floor in agony, throwing up in diarrhea for hours, you know, just, just terrible sort of stuff. And um, I had a stroke that hit the wrong side of the body than what the, the uh, spot in my brain showed. 
And then my right. neurologist is like, nope, it hit the wrong, you know, the other side of your body. It's like, no, I can tell you exactly, you know, I felt like somebody had slammed my face over and I couldn't move the right side of the body. She goes, no, because it was on the right side. It was your left side of the body that was paralyzed. I'm like, no, I can tell you, <laughs> you know, that's not the way it was. So like your body just freaks out yeah. and it makes sense when you start factoring in the abuse. So my body did not make sense until the abuse started coming out. I was 29 and it was, it was like, oh, now everything makes sense. You know, it, it was like my, my whole life was disjointed and it all came together in this picture. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so you look at that body pain, you look at the trauma, you know, or it, it just, it, it, I kind of like that it works that way. Not that I like all the medical problems, right. but it, it, it's the validation. Yes. which we need validation for ourselves, not for other people. Other people don't deserve it, but we need that validation for ourselves because we don't want to believe it. Right. So when you're like, my body deserves for me to listen to it. Yes. So let's, let's hear what it has to say. Yeah, very much. So very much. So I, um, found myself in a similar kind of, you know, having to listen to my body and having to like, think things through, my um, marriage to uh, my boy's dad was very abusive. And in um, the process of that marriage, I, um, I gained a lot of weight. And it made no sense that I was that heavy because I was also ridiculously physically active. You know, with, with the job that I had, I was quite literally almost running 20 miles a shift, but I was 200 pounds overweight. And after I was far removed from the situation and beginning to heal from that process, and I had met my current partner and, you know, one day he's like, why, what, what happened that you got that heavy? It was protection. Right. You know, but it took how many years far removed from the situation to be able to sit down and think about it. Right. And to identify that. You know, the, the other beautiful thing was he didn't want an answer, which was great. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I can articulate that I will leave a situation before I destroy myself like that again, you know, but in the time that, you know, the weight was coming on and my situation was the way it was, you know, that's how my body chose to protect itself. So it is very interesting that we we are so much more complicated than science understands. I like how he said that for you. You know, I, I think that shows compassion and understanding for him to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of spouses don't get it. So right. that's pretty amazing. You know, what and, a difference from your first husband. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was, and the thing now is, you know, as, um, you know, I go through my thing and, you know, there's no questions. There's no asking of details. And, you know, some days I'm just having bad days and, you know, as, as I'm sure you're familiar and I'm grateful that he has no point of reference to like relate, you know, and that's actually, I don't know what the word is, but I'm like, you know, when that comes up, I'm like, I am so glad you have no idea. Um, kind of makes me feel like I have hope to be a little bit more, uh, what society would call normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I would like to see normal uh, defined. <laughs> so I know what we're shooting for. <laughs> so I but see like, it defined as um, a setting on a dryer. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so I've kind of I've kind of started taking the word normal out of my vocabulary, and I'll use like expected. Yeah. You know that this you know, what I'm experiencing is an expected part of the healing and recovery process. So, so I can live with that because normal's not measurable. Right. So, well, and I don't know if with abuse, you know, I think we pass over normal to extraordinary. Yes. In that, you know, the, the things that we've had to overcome that normal people hopefully never will yeah. gives us this like strategy for life and to conquer the things that come at us that's going to be different my son is dyslexic mm -hmm. and so they they did mris on dyslexic children and found out that the place in the brain that lights up is different from kids that can read normally so in the process of helping him to learn how to read we had these um, learning programs on the computer that helped to get the correct place in the brain to light up so that he could become a reader and it worked he can read and he's he's an accountant now which i still don't know how he does it because you got to keep all your you know yeah, your numbers yeah. in the right place which he could never do growing up but they found that kids with dyslexia have incredible strategies for getting around problems that normal reading children don't have so they become really good in life Mm -hmm. problem solvers and my son the way he solves problems to this day I'm like whoa that's interesting you know pretty fascinating yes. I'm an educator so watching him do that through the years I just you know I just love that that was pretty fun but like you can extrapolate that to us having to get through trauma and then to heal from trauma we have these strategy and coping skills that other people don't have so like when a pandemic comes up some of these normal people have never had to deal with such very difficult experiences. They, you know, had depression and anxiety for the first time ever. Right. You know, it's like, well, let me give you some skills and how to handle that, you know, and then we can, we can help the normal people through the abnormalities of their life, which is kind of interesting. Yes. Yeah. We've, uh, we've had a little practice. Yeah. So not that we wanted it. <laughs> no. And that's kind of over the last couple of years of my healing process that I've come into this train of thought of this is just the path I'm on. And of course, you know, nobody wants to be through the types of things you've experienced and I've experienced. And as we go through the healing process, we hopefully come to a point where we like ourselves. And we like where we are in our lives. And if we go back and look at, well, what, what one thing would we take out? And would that put me here? It's a good question. And thinking about that for myself, there's nothing that I could see that I could remove that would have made my life easier earlier. That would bring me here. And I'm supposed to be here. Yeah, I think that's a good point. If I could take it out, though, I would in a flash. Oh, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's the important thing. Can we take what was foisted on us and turn it into something that can help other people, which is what you're doing. And mm -hmm. that's why it's so amazing. And what you're doing, I hate to do the comparing thing, but, you know, 
on level of survivor, I found both of your books to be very helpful and, um, and help me articulate things I couldn't before with, with how I, um, am working through my own process. And I did want to talk a little bit about your, um, your other book, you've got the wrong guy. I love the title. I can, my brain can hear God saying that you've got the wrong guy. And before I read your book, I had kind of figured out how to separate God's responsibility and what happened to me. And reading your book kind of helped me put more words to the feelings. Um, I think in the, the process of my healing and my trauma, I, I think emotionally first, and I think in concepts And it takes a while for words to get attached and it drives my family nuts because, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, it's like, we'll be having a conversation and then I stop and they're just like, uh, and I'm like, I'm thinking, um, because I'm trying to put those words to the feelings and thoughts. So where and how in your healing process does you've got the wrong guy fit? There there's injustice that goes along with abuse. You know, it shouldn't have happened. It never should happen. You know, I, I, I believe that God gives all parents this knowledge of, I need to protect my kid no matter what. I, I, that's a normal response to having Usually. children. You know, I will be that mama bear. I, I killed my first bug with my bare hands when it was in my first daughter's cradle. You know, it's like, how dare you? And I'm like, ooh, I can't believe I just did that. Right, you right. Know? But that should be a normal response. So right. like my parents were abusive. You know, they, they weren't there for me mentally or emotionally. You know, they did bad things to me. So it's very easy to extrapolate that to, well, God didn't stop it. He must have wanted it to go down that way. Right. And, and, and for me, it, it manifested more because my dad was never happy with me. I was, didn't matter what I did. Somehow I was wrong or like I was valedictorian in my class. He said I was a big fish in a small pond or I was all conference softball. If you're on a real, t- in a real school, you wouldn't have made the team, that sort of stuff. So I felt like I'm going to get to heaven, but then God's going to really chew me out because I fell short everywhere. And that was a really big fear that was shutting me down. And then I was reading in Zephaniah one day and it said, he rejoices over you with singing. And I just stopped. It's like, he's rejoicing with singing. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not the picture that was drawn for you. No, you know, (laughs) it's like, he's okay with me. And, And it just like, took such a burden off of me. Mm-hmm. He's not mad at me. He was not the one that put me in the abuse. He's not the one that wanted the abuse for me. That was the devil's twisting, turning my parents' free will against me. You know, and you can argue it's generational, you know, their parents did it to them. However, they still chose yes. to do that. And that God was the one all along that was by my side, that was getting me through, you know, I believe he gives the dissociation tools to us when we're little so that we can get through it. And and he's there to heal us when we get to the other side. And, and I find the Bible so comforting. You know, there's, there's so many promises in there and he expresses his love. It says 
he collects our tears in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Like think of the love and compassion. He's not saying, okay, Lisa, you've cried about the same stupid thing 25 times. When are you going to get over it? He's like, oh, honey, let me get your tears. You know, I think I have a lot of bottles up there, <laughs> but like, to me, that's, that's not a God of, I wanted this to happen to you because I want you to get something out of it. Or I want you to have this, you know, write books someday about it. So I'm going to have you go through it. Right. I think the devil's out here trying to take us out. God's the one trying to bring us through and protect us and get us to the other side. So because I was ritually abused, I you know, I was in these really bad rituals where they were worshiping Satan, but I was also in church seeing who God of the Bible was. So I saw complete evil. I saw complete good. And I'm like, I'm all in with God that I can get behind. I am, I want nothing to do with that other stuff. And then for me, it's so black and white because of my experience that I, I feel like I can share that, that clarity with people that no matter what your abuse was, it was not God's intent for you. He did not create you for that because his intent was the garden of Eden where everything was perfect. There was, there was no evil. There was no sickness. There was plenty of food. There was, you know, we didn't have to kill animals to eat them. Everybody got along. Right. That was God's perfect plan for us. And I'm like, so it healed me. And it, and it got me to this great place where I can trust God and I have safety there, which I cannot explain the amount of healing that that brings. Right. So my question is, I'm going to say in general, stereotypically, people seem to believe that where they are was predestined. Personally, I don't believe that. And with um, somebody with a history of having been abused and surviving trauma, how did you articulate for yourself the difference between what you experienced and it was not predestiny the way people connotate God's plan for them? I go to Jeremiah 29, 11, because there it's God is speaking. He says, I know the thoughts I think for you, declares the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you an expected end. So we have a destiny, right? God has us born with this plan of what we can accomplish. The enemy's kicking at that, trying to break us down, trying to destroy us. But because God's plan for us was never to harm us in the first place, but to give us this ability to help other people, which I think is a big reason why we're here, mm-hmm. you know, that connection that, you know, like today we can talk about these things and hopefully help your listeners and, and give them hope in, in their healing process that that's, that's God's destiny for us. And the enemy is the one, you know, you got the wrong guy. The enemy is the bad guy. The devil's the bad guy. You know, the evil is the bad God is the good. And once we have that dichotomy straight, then when these battles come, because they're, they're just going to come, mm-hmm. you know, we live in this world, there's going to be problems. Pandemic, that's a huge one we're all facing. Yeah. You know, God's the one to get us through it. He's the one that brings comfort in the midst of our trials and our problems. You know, that the fruit of the spirit, one of the big ones is peace. Right. And as as survivors, that's something we never had growing up. And that's, that's a commodity that 
you know, people drink alcohol trying to get, they'll, they'll do drugs trying to get peace or just to forget for a little while, you know, antidepressants and all that stuff is the same way. They're trying to get us to a place of peace where God wants us to have that. That's important to him that we have that peace and it comes from him. I think that's beautiful. Yes. I, you know, with, with the abuse that I've had, I would say peace is the thing I need more than anything. And, and I, I'm able to do that, you know, and I can go into God's creation and find peace there. I can walk in the woods. We had a fox come to our front porch, was, was, was sleeping on our chair on the front porch for hours. And I'm like, that's just beautiful. You know, God, God made that fox and that fox chose our house. Isn't this, and I live in the middle of a big city, like. I don't oh, know where this box cool. came from, that is but cool. it was just, you know, that, that creativity of God, like that our sky is blue and that the ground is covered with green, blue and green are the two most calming colors that there are. And God cloaked the world with it because he wanted something to help calm us down. You think about that and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's it- the God we serve. Yes. And what I'm, what I'm going to say is in the process of healing, there's still a lot of people that are telling us should, 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 and it's coming from all angles. And it's also involves our individual spiritual lives. And depending on the experiences of the survivor, what I want my our listeners to hear is that wherever you are in your relationship with your creator, with your higher power, with however you relate to God is okay. If, if you're not ready to let go of or work through that, what you experienced was not predestined, that's okay. If you don't know what to believe, that's okay. I walked around for the longest time. I don't know what I believe. Is there heaven? Is there hell? How does this work? I don't know. And it's okay to not know. As long as you keep healing. And someday the answer may be articulated for you. And maybe it won't. It's all part of the journey and the process of healing. Um, I hope your listeners don't feel that their path of healing is ever wrong. You know, I think however you can go about healing because everybody's healing journey is going to be completely different. You know, I wish there was a checklist. You could just go through ABCD. Oh, look, here I am. I'm great now. (laughs) You know, find your healing path. Yeah. Boy, what I wouldn't give for that. But that's what we also experience in our Western culture. You just check off the right things, do the right things. You know, if you go see this person, if you follow this philosophy, if you spend this amount of money, you're going to be all better. And the process of basically picking yourself apart and putting yourself back together and looking at all the broken pieces and figuring out how they fit back together and coming to a self-love and a self-acceptance, you are absolutely right. There is no one right way to do that. 
and how each of us finds that way is, is part of the journey and walking next to each other and supporting each other with that arm to support them while they do their thing is what we're here for. And find people who will listen. Yeah. You know, we have such big questions that we have to struggle with. Yeah. You know, find someone that can listen to you while you throw out questions that may make you sound really bad. Yeah. You know, but throw have somebody that will handle them with you and not mm-hmm. fix you, but listen and go, oh, wow. Okay, tell me mm-hmm. more about that. Yeah. You know. And really what I have found is that that person that can do that is probably somebody that's a little bit further ahead in their healing process. Probably true. Because what I found is, you know, in my younger, you know, looking for understanding days, you know, when people would be like, so, you know, and I, I tell my story and it was like, and I would never hear from them again. Yeah. You know, not everybody is privileged to our stories. And I only share details if it appears that the details and how I worked through them will help that person or help those people. Um, Otherwise, yeah, you know, that my story is not who I am. My story is what I lived through to make me who I am. So that's, you know, there's, there's still a lot of stigma attached to even calling ourselves survivors. There's still, you know, people, you know, look at the label of survivor and they expect, I don't know what they expect, but they don't expect what they get. Right. And there's, there's a lot of mental gymnastics to achieve acceptance. Our Western culture is not accepting of mental illness and the, um, the mental and emotional support that survivors need. And of course, just like everywhere, the amount of people that have survived abuse you went through, abuse I went through is significantly underreported. Right. And over the years of, you know, my work and, you know, just my life, I have grown to, just kind of assume everybody is some type of trauma survivor and kind of relate to them from that angle. Certainly gives you more understanding and compassion, mm-hmm. which is what we should have for everybody. Yeah, for sure. If, if, if our world would have that, you know, we would all be doing so much better. I think so. I totally agree. So what is next for you, Lisa? Well, I have in the works right now, I've written a Bible study called Daddy God, which is trying to get a more intimate relationship with God as our father. But sometimes when we have trauma, our earthly dad gets in the way. And so our understanding of God is marred by our understanding of the love or really the not love of our parents. So trying to move that out of the way so that we can actually see God for who he really is and see his characteristics and get into a trusting relationship with him. So I have a friend of mine, um, Rosie Stone, who's working with me on this project. And 
So we're, we've uh, run it at our church and um, I'm excited by it. And so we're getting it in book form. So that's my next major big thing coming. So wow, very good. I'm very excited by it. We had um, one lady that was going to commit suicide in my group, in the group at my church and decided not to because of the daddy God class and what she was learning. And, you know, so again, the trauma that our parents put us through really can destroy us. So in that getting to where God is and who he is can really bring healing and it brings back hope, which, you know, abuse is that sponge that just takes all your hope out of you and you have nothing left. And, you know, we need God to trust with God to be able to give us hope back. Cause once we have hope, we can get up in the morning and we can go about our day. Yes. And we can overcome. Yes. And, And we can. And, um, one of the words, one of the things that I found is word usage and how we use words is important. And I'm sure you found this too. Um, and I'm thinking based on the two books I read of yours, that there's a lot of thought that goes into the words you picked. And um, so one of, one of the, um, the things that I try to not use is instead of saying get over, I say work through because about the only obstacle to get over would be like a wall or, you know, something short and, you know, you're on the other side and you keep moving, but our trauma is something that we're working through all the time. And, uh, even when, even when we don't know. Right. So all of our life. I like how you say that. That's important. You know, that that's one of those keys that, you know, hopefully your listeners are write that down, Mm -hmm. work through it. Yep. get through it. You can get through it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And really it's only been again, the last couple of years that I realized just how important word choice is and how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about this process. And then, you know, as I stopped telling myself to get over stuff, there was less anxiety about encountering things again, when my brain needed to look at something from a different angle. So then it was, oh, I get to work through this again. What do I get to learn about myself this time? So, and every time you go down that hole, you know, mm-hmm. cause for me, it's like a pit. It's like, yes. okay, I'm in this pit. I got to pull myself back out, but you will find a higher level of functioning and adaptability and ability to enjoy this life that we still have. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's really important to, to reiterate is that there's a purpose to the process of healing. And it's not just to keep reliving the stuff and rehashing the stuff. It's to, and not even really to make sense of the stuff because it doesn't make sense, right? you know, but it's to put it to rest. Yeah. So we can move forward. Yeah. Moving forward is so important. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. Lisa, I look forward to seeing your new book coming out. I think I, I'm going to be honest, hearing Daddy God put together, I, I, I kind of got this trigger thing about the word daddy, but what you're yeah. describing sounds like it will help people make that separation and connection together about, you know, what was God's role in what was going on and, and how those 
formative relationships that we should have had with our parents. Well, they, they still had formative properties to them. Just, just like you said, not what God intended. Right. Right. God's the good guy. God's the one on our side. God's Mm -hmm. the one that cares about our inner conversation, our inner way of being. And again, he wants us to be in peace. Yep. You know, the enemies just evil. They just want to take us out. Yep. God wants to set us up and give us a life that we can enjoy and we can live and we can make a difference. I agree. So for your listeners, I just want to encourage that healing is worth it. You will get yeah. there. Just don't give up. And uh, I'm rooting for you. Yes. Yes. I am. I am rooting for all of us because um, yeah, there's, there's stuff to be done. There's healing to do. There's joy to have and there's life to live. Yes. Lisa, I'm going to make sure to also put a link to um, your podcast page. Um, Wonderful. Thank you. So that my listeners can go check out your other um, guests that you've had on your podcast. Um, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast also. I've enjoyed listening to your growth. And uh, as you've uh, gained more experience with your podcast, I can hear your voice becoming more conversational so yeah (laughs) I was pretty terrified at the beginning (laughs) thank you well I hope to have you again on my show someday and I'm honored and um thank you for coming thank you and thank you to all your listeners thank you for joining us today I'm going to be honest we want to keep our services and support to others free And we need an income to be available to people when they need us. If you have found value in what has been shared today, please consider donating at www.healingforwardsupport.com slash donation or www.buymeacoffee.com slash healingforward. We have a You Are Not Alone support group every Wednesday at 10 o'clock a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time please go to healingforwardsupport.com slash workshop to sign up to receive the private link for the support groups each week. We will be using chartable.com to help us reach the full potential of our audience. Be looking for the link to opt out of being tracked if you want to opt out of being tracked in the show notes. And thank you for joining us today.